Hey girl, welcome to the Empower Her podcast, where we are all about taking purpose-driven action toward building lives we really freaking love. My name's Keisha, and I'm a saucy 29-year-old who left the corporate world to go on to build a seven-figure online business. But most days, I still feel like I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm obsessed with the process of us getting to figure it out together. We've got epic guests, incredible stories, tips, and tricks to help us get out of our own way and unapologetically make some moves. So girlfriend, let's do the damn thing. Girl, I'm so excited that you're here because this episode is straight fire. We have on the show today, Christine Hassler. If you don't know her, she's a best-selling author, keynote speaker, master coach, TV host, and she has a phenomenal top-rated podcast. It's called Over It and On With It. And what's really cool is she actually coaches callers live on the air. And you'll have to check it out because it's really cool. And beyond all of that, she's an incredible human. You're just going to hear and feel her heart through her voice. She kind of makes me feel like she's a big sister giving me a hug, telling me it's all going to be okay. But at the same time, she's got very tactical advice. She really knows her stuff. She's appeared as an expert on the Today Show, CNN, ABC, CBS, Fox, E, Style, and PBS. And she talks about a wide range of topics. And she also has a lot of insight into this concept of expectation hangover, which is her most recent book and a phenomenon that she identified and actually trademarked. And in addition to all of that, she also is a contributor to the Huffington Post and Cosmo. So in this episode, we deep dive. She is so honest and raw. It's refreshing. You're going to love her. We talk about giving ourselves permission to feel. We deep dive into being single and also being in a relationship and this timeline that we often give ourselves. And she also even talks about mother-daughter relationships, which I think is going to be so impactful. I can't even wait to get the DMs of how impactful this episode is from you. I loved this conversation. I know it's going to hit home with you. So without further ado, let's dive right in to Christine. Christine, I am so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. This is going to be, I mean, just just what we talked about before we started recording, this is going to be a fun one. Your audience are my people. <laughs> yes, they're so going to vibe with you. So before we dive into some of the topics that I want to cover with you today, can you give us kind of a high level overview of your backstory and like sure. all of the things that you've accomplished? Like, I'm sure there were lots of twists and turns along the yeah. way, but how did you get to be Christine Hassler? As yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It's like, I think when people ask me that question, it's, it's more, how did I remember who Christine Hassler actually is and, and, yeah. and become that version of her. Right. Um, so, oh gosh, if people really want to creep on the longer story, it's out there in the world, but I'll give you the cliff note version. So grew up in Texas, um, had a couple things happen to me, both some abuse and also some bullying. Now, I shouldn't use the word bullying because it, it was more teasing, like really, really bad teasing because a lot of people are severely bullied and, and I just want to honor that. Um, but teasing to the extent that it really impacted me. Super late bloomer. Anyway, a lot of things happened to me that made me form beliefs like I don't belong. I'm not enough. It's, the world isn't safe. People don't like me. So whenever we have those kind of traumas and dramas in our life and hurts, to survive, we have to come up with what I call a compensatory strategy, a way that we think we can be in the world that's going to make us feel enough. So an example could be people-pleasing, you know? 
people don't like me or my house is always chaos. Maybe if I'm just pleasing everybody all the time, that, that will be how I survive and how I compensate. My particular compensatory strategy was overachieving. I thought, well, if I don't fit in, if I'm not liked, if my body doesn't feel good, if nothing, I'm just going to be smart and I'm just going to get the best grades and I'm just going to like go, go, go. So the thing about compensatory strategies is they get validated and mm. some part of our brain thinks they work. So of course I was validated for getting good grades. Of course I was validated for working my butt off and studying all the time by teachers, by parents, by authority figures. So I was like, oh, this is how I get my self-worth. I just do, do, do and achieve, achieve, achieve. And people think I'm something. So I'll just keep doing and achieving. Mm -hmm. So that continued through college, graduated college early with two majors and a minor, moved out to Hollywood because Hollywood is sort of like the adult version of the popular crowd that Mm -hmm. I always longed to be part of. And worked my way up was, I think, the youngest ever female agent, or at least the youngest in my company. So I had this Hollywood life. My boyfriend at the time was the head of a studio. So I was Oscars, Golden Globes, private jets, like the whole deal. Like hanging out with celebrities all the time and really seeing that money and fame doesn't buy happiness. Because there were some really rich and famous people that were great and humble and lovely and happy. And there were some that were a mess. So it's like, all right, so clearly that isn't the solution. And I got to realize at a young age that nothing outside of us fulfills us, like zero. And I was about 25 years old. I was engaged. I had this great job. I was making a quarter of a million dollars, which is a lot for 25, especially back in whenever that was a while ago. And I just had this, this run right up in the elevator on my way to work, realizing that I hated my job. I hated myself. I hated everything. Oh, P.S. I was put on antidepressants at 11 and was still on antidepressants. And by that time, anti-anxiety medicine as well. I've been off all of that for over, well, for about a decade. And I just had a a bit of a panic attack slash nervous breakdown or better yet, like quarter life crisis, which I'm sure a lot of people are having in their twenties and thirties of who am I? What the F am I doing? What do I really want? I feel all this pressure. I don't know what to do. So I ended up just quitting and which was really, really hard because my whole identity was wrapped up in what I did. And then that, that it just downward spiraled from there. My boyfriend, who was then my fiance, broke up with me six months before our wedding. I was estranged from my mom because I did something that she didn't agree with and we didn't speak. And we had had a very, what I thought, close relationship. But as I grew, I learned that we had a more enmeshed codependent relationship. Wow. We're better now, but I had to work through all that in my 20s. That's a big thing in your 20s as a side note for a woman, the mother-daughter relationship. Maybe we can mm-hmm. bookmark that one and come back. Yes. Um, and I was having a lot of health problems, a lot of autoimmune type things. And I, I went into debt. So everything that you know I worked so hard to achieve fell apart. And, I, and in those moments, we can either go into victim of everything's happening to me. And I went there for a while. Yeah. Or we can get curious and I go, all right, I'm still going to have compassion for myself. I'm not going to, I'm going to honor that this is hard and I'm going to take responsibility because I don't believe in the whole, everything's happening for me and I'm just going to hustle and I'm just going to be strong because I think that that disregards our feelings about the situation, especially yeah. as women so important to honor our feelings about a situation. So I honored my feelings. Like I'm scared shitless. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I've, I do have compassion for myself because this is really hard. I'm heartbroken. I'm confused. Yeah. And I'm going to be a seeker. 
I'm going to get curious and I'm going to get help. And honestly, that was the biggest thing was getting help, going to people, not my age, (laughs) going to people older who were credentialed, who, and not just psychologists and psychiatrists, my first coach and spiritual teacher, Mona, she really was the one that started to help me see the common denominator and everything was me. And that if I created all of this that I didn't want, then I could create something different. And that's where I started getting on the path of just how much, just loving personal development, because especially with seeing psychiatrists and psychologists since I was 11, it was a whole new world of understanding mind-body connection and our beliefs create reality. And, you know, Mona saw me as more than just a label and more than just you're depressed, you have an anxiety disorder or whatever it may be. And I wrote 20 something, 20 everything because I went to the bookstore to look for a book that would help me. And there was one book called The Quarter Life Crisis, which is a nice book, great book. But it was more about how do you figure out the job and the career? And I, I like, I did all that. Like, how do yeah. I figure out me, you know? And all the personal development books felt like they were for much older people. Like yep. they were examples of Mary, who's 37 and has two kids or Johnny, you know, and I just didn't relate. So I wrote 20 something, 20 everything. And people started asking me to coach them. And I went to Mona and I said, I think I'm going to be a coach. And she said, that's your gift and got credentialed for that. And then brought the psychology in and two masters in psychology and then started speaking. And then I became a millennial expert and started speaking in corporate world. And then, you know, did retreats and wrote more books and launched a podcast where I coach people live on the air. And it's all just kind of gone from there. Yeah. Sorry, that was a long oh, answer. I tried to no, be short. I, no, I love it. But you've, aco- you've accomplished so much that it's like, how do I like condense that into a short little like <laughs> nugget? And I think it's really relevant. And I love how you like dug into the things that are really going to be relevant to this audience because I think it's interesting that you go to look for a book and you decide there's no book. So I'm going to write the book. Yeah. It's interesting. So can you talk a little bit? I, I know it was a little while ago and I want to talk about more recent stuff too, but... Yeah, okay. What did it feel like when you went in? You're like, there's nothing for me. And what made you feel the feeling of wanting to actually create what you wanted? Well, to be honest, it was both ego and intuition. Yeah. So there was that part of me that still wanted my something, my big thing. There was that little piece of me that was like, someday I'm going to be well-known and going to prove it to all those girls that tease me. There was that part. So there was a little wounding impacting my motivation. Mm-hmm. I can say that wounded doesn't impact my motivation anymore. Now I really come from an inspired place. Yeah. But sometimes our old wounding or hurts, they do motivate us. So mm-hmm. there was that. But more than that, there was this almost, um, the best way I could describe it is it felt like I, a, a spiritual assignment. It felt yeah. like I must do this. And I must do it for me first. I think that a lot of times, and I see this with a lot of millennials, um, it's all about impacting the world. And it's all about, I want to change a million lives or 5 million lives and da, 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 da. That's nice. But really what we're all here to do is grow ourselves. And whatever container is going to do that most, because even people that say they're out there impacting millions of people, Mm -hmm. bottom line, it's what they need for themselves. True. Really. Mm-hmm. So, and it's not a selfish thing. It's just, let's be honest with ourselves. We, we all, you know, if we were truly enlightened, we would just be love and just walk around and whoever we touch, we touch, we'd, we'd have no interest in the amount of people we touch. So whenever someone says that, I'm like, you do realize it's still about you. Right. And it's totally fine. Like yeah. it, 
but it's like we with that healthy amount of ego is there. But we but for me there was also this just like I if I don't do this for me, then I'll never really live into my full potential. Like it, when I write this book, even though it was quote unquote for others, I knew that I was going to find the answer. You know, that's how yeah. most the best ideas start. If there's a problem yeah. that you have that no one else is solving and you solve it, one, you grow. And then by default, you help other people grow. Yes. I love that perspective because to the woman that's in Trader Joe's listening to this and has that gut feeling and you know what that is, you're going to learn and evolve as a human being. And as a byproduct, a ton of people are going to benefit from your bravery of doing that. And that's amazing. And And it helps with imposter syndrome too, because if you make it all about, I have to help all these people I want to, I want to help a million people. It's going to freak out a part of you. That's like, wait, a million people are going to be looking at me. Yeah. I don't know if I want that. Even though consciously you may think you do. So it's like always coming from the place of this is my gift. This is my message. I, for my own growth, I have to say this. And if people like it, great. If people judge it, great. I don't care because it's really about me expressing my truth. Yeah. And again, that's not selfish. It's self-honoring. And it, it, imposter syndrome only happens when we're thinking about how we're going to be perceived. So it's impossible true. to have it if you're not thinking about how you're going to be perceived. So if you bring it back to the self-worth of I'm doing this for me because I honor and I love myself and the cherry on top is other people may like it, other people may not. And that's a beautiful way to create from too because you're, whenever we're thinking about other people's reactions, it, it can be intimidating. Now, that said, if we're creating a product or a service, we want to get into other people's minds and be able to communicate them and everything like that. But that initial inspiration, that's got to come from within and not from wanting to prove, you know, anything. Oh, I love that. So powerful. So, okay. I want to talk about your philosophy as a whole about feelings. And I think a lot of your work, like on your podcast and all of the, all the creeping that I did on you, Christine, is a lot about helping people step into just accepting their feelings and kind of making sense of them rather than trying to suppress them. So can you give kind of just a hierarchy like view of your perception of feelings and why we do maybe shove those things down when in reality we need to get it out there sometimes? Sure. Well, I have a saying, feel, deal, heal. You feel it, you allow yourself to feel it, the biggest part. And we'll talk about each of these. You deal with it and then you heal it so you don't have to get, you know, the same triggers happening over and over again. Mm-hmm. So if we think about, there's, there's feeling and there's emotion. So feeling is a physiological response to a thought. If I, so like my husband just left for a few days, he's going up to LA there's fires up there. I'm a little concerned. If I allow my mind to go to thinking about him in the fires, what if he has this hero thing? Is he going to run in and try to rescue people? Think my mind can go there. If I allow my mind to go there, I'm going to feel anxiety for sure. Now, emotion is energy in motion. Emotion is more this sort of like, if you eat something that is toxic or poisonous, maybe you'll throw up or something like that because your body's like, ah, I got to get this out. It's a natural reaction to something yucky going in. Emotion is like that. So if someone um, came in and all of a sudden 
really scared me, like barged through the door when we're on this podcast out of nowhere. The emotion is fear, energy in motion, because that's the natural body response to a stimulating event. There's not too much thought that happens. So can you see the difference between feeling and emotion? And we get them confused a lot Mm -hmm. because a lot of times people will say, well, all, you know, if you're feeling something, just change your thought because all feelings and emotion are a result of thoughts. I disagree. Feelings, yes, most likely are mostly a result of a thought or a trigger or whatever. But emotion, that energy in motion is often a natural response to something that happens. So let's go a little deeper and more serious. Let's say as a kid, you were abused or let's say as a kid, you were really bullied. When that happened, it wasn't a thought that created shame, fear, sadness in your body. It was the events that overwhelmed your nervous system that created the emotion of fear, sadness, shame, whatever hurt, whatever it is. And usually as kids, we don't have healthy outlets for that. So something happens, we have the, you know, I'm going to use the word feel, we feel it, we have the emotion, we have the natural response, and then we hold it inside. Okay. And then that energy in motion, emotion doesn't get out. And we end up repressing a lot of our emotions. And then we stack feelings on top of that because anytime a similar event happens, so let's say you were abused Mm -hmm. and you get into a situation where you're scared. Someone says something to you, you don't feel safe. Your brain's going to go, uh-oh, radar, like this doesn't feel safe. And you're going to feel all that fear and anxiety again. Any questions so far over? No, that makes okay. sense. Keep going. This is so good. <laughs> okay. So my work with people is, because I love the personal development industry. It's amazing. But sometimes we do what I like to call spiritual bypass. We do, everything happens for a reason. I'm going to be strong. I'm just going to go, I'm going to create something out of this. I'm learning so much. And all that's true, but that's, that's more towards the end of the dealing part. Mm-hmm. First, we have to allow ourselves to feel our feelings. So for example, in Expectation Hangover, my last book, I walk people through emotionally, mental, mentally, behavioral, and spiritually processing an expectation hangover, which is a disappointment. Mm-hmm. And before we get to the reframe or the forgiveness or the changing behavior, we have to deal with the emotion. How is this making me feel? What does this remind me of? One of the most powerful questions you can ask yourself when you're triggered. And you know you're triggered when your reaction to something is bigger than the actual event yeah. um, or if you're just really upset about something. So when that, you're that right there, when your reaction is bigger than the event, you know, you're triggered. Like someone right now, stop and put that in the notes section of your phone. That's so, yes. so true. Exactly. So if somebody sends you a text and it wasn't that bad, but it, you're, you're like, you go, you're zero to a hundred in the second, you know, you're triggered. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most powerful questions you can ask is what does this remind me of? What does this remind me of? Because it will take you back to probably most likely an event from your past where something happened and you didn't have a healthy processing of emotion. Because what happens is we recycle our feelings, we don't release them. So it would be the difference between, let's say, let's say you and I got in an argument. I was really upset. 
We hung up. I let myself have a temper tantrum about it. I let myself be mad, hit pillows, then cry about the hurt and just get all that feeling out. Eventually self-soothe myself, maybe get to some forgiveness. And then maybe, then I can get to some compassion. I can get to understanding. I can get to the action that I want to take. But if you and I get an argument and I just am puffing and puffing and I suppress it and I just go on with my day or I'm just talking about it and judging you, judging me and just not allowing the feeling and emotion to come up, then I'm just recycling the feeling. Anytime we have judgment or analysis paired with a feeling, we're not releasing it. We're not letting it go. So So that's why when like, let's say you're going through a breakup and you've talked about it in therapy and you've talked about it with your friends and you've cried about it, but you just can't get over it. Most likely when you're talking about it, you're in judgment and analyzation. You're in, why did this happen? I don't understand this. Why did he do this? I can't, I'm so, there's, there's not a place of compassion that you're holding for yourself. So we've got to give ourselves permission to just release feelings and emotion. Mm-hmm. No judgment, no attachment. And I, in Expectation Hangover, in my mastery course, I totally walk people through this yeah. because it's the missing link and it's why so many women struggle with depression and anxiety, yeah. have autoimmune stuff. Um, I'm, I'm not claiming that this is the only reason, but this right. contributes. Yeah, for um, sure. Are having more problems with fertility are, yep. because we're are gaining, we can't lose weight. Yeah. Because if we think of emotion, energy in motion, all of that emotion that we hold or we don't process in healthy ways, it gets stuck. Yeah. It gets stuck in our body. So that's why it's so important to, to release it. Ooh, that was such a gift to someone. Like, <laughs> you, I, wow, that was amazing. Thank you so yeah. much for sharing that insight. So, okay. I want to switch gears a little bit to another topic that I wanted to pick your brain on that I think will be so powerful to the woman listening to this, which is relationships in general. So you recently got married, which is so exciting. Congratulations. And you're so happy and you're so fulfilled and you met this man later on in your life. So talk to us about kind of the timeline and maybe some of the anxiety that you had along the way of finding that person because there's someone listening that needs to hear this from someone that found this person later, you know? So before I say this and this, you know, you may hear this and blow it off, but maybe like bookmark this place and like put it on a loop. Please let go of your timelines. You've got to let go of your, I have to do this by this age and this by this age, because you are effing with divine timing when you have your time, your own timeline. And when you F with divine timing, you will make decisions more from the place of control and your mind and not from your gut and your heart. And trust me, and I'll tell you my story in a second, and I get chills when I say this, if you allow for divine timing, what you draw in will be better than you can even imagine when it comes to career, relationship, children, all of that. And what I know you know, I, I sound like Oprah. This is what I know for sure. Whatever her last book is. I do know this. Is if you want to accelerate your life, do personal growth work. Evolve your own consciousness. Heal your own issues. Resolve all the shit with your parents. Like, you know, do the inner work and you will draw in the more aligned things easier yeah. and quicker. 
I've seen this over my 15 years of experience personally and professionally. Nothing works better. I don't believe in the hustle. I don't believe in timelines. It works for some people, but you will be satisfied on the goal line of life, but not necessarily the soul line. So that said, I got broken up with by my fiance at 26. Devastated. Awful. Five months later, I met a man who I married at 28 maybe 27, can't remember. 30 rolls around and I'm like, I get off antidepressants and I start going, oh my God, I'm not happy in my marriage. Like this, I basically am in my parents' dynamic. I, in a lot of ways, married my dad. And my dad's a great guy, but lived very neck up. Mm -hmm. And I was deep into personal growth work and wasn't being met. And I did what a lot of women do, do. I tried to change him. And I did that through things like judging him, emasculating him, telling what he should do differently, all kinds of things that I wouldn't recommend. And that I teach all this when I teach about masculine feminine dynamics. Thank God that you did that because then you could actually say, I've been there. Right. Right? Absolutely. I absolutely. So we got to a point in our marriage where we just, in a lot of ways, we were too similar. We were similar in the ways that it didn't work to be similar. And we were too different in the ways that it doesn't work to be too different. Because you really need someone who's similar in your values, but different in ways that you need some growth or some support. And I didn't know all this at the time. And honestly, in your 20s and early 30s, you just, I don't, I don't know, you just don't know yourself well enough in yeah. a lot of ways, unless you've done a lot of personal growth work. And even though I'd done that, I was still, you know, let's be honest, I got dumped by my fiance. Of course I wanted to be married. 30 was around the corner. I was listening to those timelines. And this man came along and no disrespect to him, but I think some part of me was like, this is good enough. This will work. Yep. Feel safe. Feel secure. He ticks all the boxes. Mm -hmm. But I didn't really know what boxes I needed ticking because I hadn't done enough healing work of my own. Yeah. So by 31, I was divorced, which was... It's so hard because I felt like a failure. I also was a coach and had a public, you know, in 20 something, 20 everything. I talk about my fiance dumping me and meeting my husband. And then now I'm getting divorced. So there was a shame about that. And just this, this terrible fear of, will I find someone else? You know, when I got divorced, I was 51% sure and 49% not sure. Wow. And I, and this is terrible to say, but I will be honest, there was a part of me that wanted him to cheat on me or do something that gave me a reason that I could point to other than it just doesn't feel right. Like our values just don't feel aligned. He's an amazing guy. I would say that to his face. He's an amazing guy. He did nothing wrong. He just wasn't my guy. And we picked each other more because I think both of us felt it was time to get married versus really knowing, are we building a life together? So got divorced, thought I'd definitely be married by 35. Like no problem. My whole life up until that point from 18, it was one relationship after another. Never had trouble getting into a relationship. However, I was also healing my codependent patterns. So part of the reason it was so easy for me to be in relationships is because I was very good at being codependent. When you're good at being codependent, you can have a relationship any day because you almost (laughs) need that to survive. Yeah. So I was healing that. I was doing my own work. I was evolving and I spent the next nine years 
very single, like none status single. I had one eight month relationship with a narcissist. So that was super fun. Oh boy. But gave me experience about that. There you go. And that was it. And then, you know, my calling him in story is a whole nother podcast. But when I met Stephanos, my husband now, I was so clear of who I was and what I wanted. And it was one of those instant soul recognition things. And I'm experiencing the kind of love in the relationship that's even better than I thought possible. Yeah. And it was so worth the wait, so worth the wait. And so you've got to let go of those timelines. I mean, I, I did my best with my timelines. I froze my eggs at 35. But I also believe that even in having babies and fertility, so much of what impacts our fertility is not taking care of ourselves more than yeah. it is just our age. There's a lot of women in their even mid to late 40s who are getting pregnant because it's, it's so much about our stress, our health, viruses that we don't know we have, things like that than is just age. We've got to like choose what we want to believe. And of course there's truth to it, but I've also come to peace with, and I think this is important for everybody. There's your plan and then there's your soul's plan. And sometimes life can look different than what your mind thinks it should look like. But from my point of view, it's so much better. Like, I, if I missed out on this kind of epic love, I'd be so sad. Yeah. I'd be so sad. And yeah, I had to spend a lot of years alone and a lot of single holidays and another birthday would go by and I'd be like, this is my year where it's going to happen. And yeah, other year would go by. And, yeah. and finally I just surrendered it. And that's when, um, that's when he came in. But the other thing is, so he's six years younger than me mm-hmm. and he wasn't ready. So you've got to think about that too, whether it's your work or relationship, that universal timing thing is massive. It is massive. We only have so much control. We really don't have as much control as we'd like to think we do. (laughs) I love that though. I mean, I think just the philosophy as a whole. So to the woman listening to this, who has a lot of like control issues where she, she understands, she's like, Christine, I hear you. I want to release this timeline. I want to just like be able to be a more go with the flow type person, but I'm really struggling. Do you have like a first tangible like tip for her of like how to just let it go a little bit? Mm -hmm. I mean, the biggest thing I'd say is get a coach or somebody or counselor, somebody that can help because that control. So remember when I was talking about compensatory strategies? Yeah. Control is one of them. Usually we're controlling because something happened in our past where we were caught off guard. And we made a decision a long time ago that will never happen again. So I do not want to be caught off guard. I do not like uncertainty. That was scary. That sucked. So I'm going to just control everything in my life. So part of dealing with control is dealing with that little girl inside of you and talking to yourself. I like to put one hand on my heart, one hand on my belly when I'm talking to like younger parts of myself. I love that. And when you feel that controlling coming in, just say, just say I'm safe. It's okay everything's okay. I'm safe. And take a breath. Take a breath. The, the biggest thing that helped me with control was getting in my body, yeah. doing a lot of somatic work, doing a lot of the work that I teach now, just letting myself feel because when we're controlling, we're repressing. Right. And people that love control have a hard time sitting still, yeah. have a hard time actually feeling themselves. And you got to just, you, you got to let yourself get messy. Yeah. The only way out. So powerful. 
Okay. One last thing that I want to pick your brain on before I move into the final two questions is you kind of led into it at the beginning. And I feel like it could be a very big gift to someone to share your perspective on the mother daughter relationship. Mm -hmm. And I mean, everybody's got their issues with that. So I know give her a little bit of insight into how to process Uh, that. Well, we're living in a time where what it means to be a woman is changing. Yeah. Just what it means to be human. Men are going through this too. Um, but there's, I, there's been very few times where there's been this much of a generation gap. Like what your mom grew, what your mom grew up being told, what she saw, what was her idea of what it meant to be a woman and what you grew up being told, saw, et cetera, are very, very different. Right. So that's, that's one thing. The other thing is, especially parents of millennials, they, the parenting advice they were getting when millennials were very young is be, be yes, be your child's best friend, be close. And they wanted to give their children a better life than they did. So what I see happening a lot is number one, mothers and daughters are uh, unhealthily, unhealthily, I don't know if that's a word, but I made it up, um, <laughs> unhealthily too close. Yeah. Like I did a podcast recently about a girl who's like, my mom is my best friend. And I'm like, ooh, yeah. no, mom's, no, mom, mom is mom. Mm-hmm. Best friends are your besties. They're people you're not related to. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there can be the too close. There can be mom wanting to live vicariously through daughter. So whatever experiences she didn't get to have, she wants her daughter to have. So a lot of her encouragement, like you really need to go to law school. Like maybe she wanted to go to law school. She didn't think she had those options. So she's putting that pressure on you or you really need to be married or cause that's what worked for her. So we have to also be aware of like mom isn't God. And right. even though we think our parents are God when we're little, oftentimes they don't know what's best for us. As we get to be adults, we have to discern that only we know what's best for us and not project what they want us to be. Yeah. And then the other thing that I see is a lot of like guilt. Like if mom's not okay, I'm not okay. And I'll just kind of like do whatever I need to do to make sure mom's okay. And then on the other side of that, there's a lot of anger and resentment at mom for maybe what she did or what she didn't do or how she didn't stand up for you or how she didn't leave dad or whatever the case may be. And a lot of of judgment, which then impacts our relationship with other women. So it's, you're right, it probably could be a whole other podcast. But the biggest thing I would say is that if we go, you know, I have a spiritual psychology background, so let's just like back up and look look at it from that perspective. Life is one big school. You came in, all of us came in to this human experience to evolve our soul, to learn and grow as humans, basically to evolve the human species. We all play our part in that. Every single person in our life, especially our parents, our soul chose because they were the perfect cast of characters for what we needed to learn. Mm. So in your relationship with your mom, which is one of our most intimate relationships, one of our most primary relationships, you can ask, what did my, was my mom here to teach me in this lifetime? What were the ways she triggered me? And this is a bigger question. What are the generational patterns that I'm going to decide to break? Because all of us have these generational patterns that go way, 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 way back. And with more consciousness, we can start to 
break those patterns. So you really want to look at it like, okay, I chose this mother. Why? Yeah. And, and start looking at the relationship from that. And then one more thing, boundaries. Boundaries mm-hmm. with parents, especially mom, is so important. And boundaries are really hard because when you set boundaries, usually people don't go, oh, Christine, that is such a healthy boundary. I totally respect that. And I won't call you every day. No problem. So proud of you for individuating. Yay. It's more, how could you do that? What do you mean? You're so selfish. You don't care anymore. What about me? I'm just trying to help. So boundaries are tricky because other people generally get upset when we set them. Right. We're changing the rules, but we've got to do it anyway. And again, a good podcast to listen to is the one I did with, um, her name's Gabby, and it's about her relationship with her mom. I think it was like episode 216 or something. Um, and I go through how to set loving boundaries with someone and let them, like, they're going to be upset and that's okay. Because, it, yeah. It's so powerful. Like, insert subtle plug, we'll obviously talk about it at the end, but like, over and on with like, the way that you, like, do your podcast of like live coaching people is so powerful because you can learn something from some people's experiences that you haven't had. It's so powerful. We don't have enough time here on the planet to learn from all of these experiences. So the way that you do it and the style that you do it in is so freaking powerful. So everybody needs to check out your podcast for sure. But okay, moving into the last like two questions. Yeah. One is if you are feeling like in a funk or in like a low, like bleh, um, feeling and you need to get yourself to take action in some regard, like something that you need to get done, how do you pull yourself up out of that feeling? Okay, so there's two, two directions you can go. Yeah. You actually have the space, feel your feelings. Yeah. So that can be in release writing, which is different than journaling. Release writing is writing as fast as you can, stream of consciousness, like letting the emotion out. Mm-hmm. Um, or like the temper tantrum technique, like hitting a pillow, crying, putting on loud music and just ah, like getting it out. Yeah. Not calling someone and talking about it, but actually feeling it, feeling the anger, feeling the sadness, feeling whatever it is. Um, if you can't do that, then you can say, all right, anger, frustrations, shame, sadness, whatever it is, I'm going to make a date with you. I'm going to make a date with my feeling later tonight or Saturday at 4 p.m., I'm going to sit and journal and allow myself to feel that. Oh. Not disregarding you. I'm just making a date with you. And you put it on your calendar. And then in, you just, you, after you make the date, you say, all right, now I'm going to have a state change. I'm going to change my state. I'm going to put on a really happy song. I'm going to dance around. I'm going to go for a walk in nature. I'm going to drink a really super cold glass of LaCroix and just like feel the bubbles coming down. Yeah. Just something that changes your state that then will hopefully create a space where that step can be taken. And, and also really ask yourself, is it in my highest good to take this action step? Is, is it too big of a step? Is this really step four? And maybe there's something I need to do that's step one. Because sometimes we procrastinate or we sabotage or we don't do things because we're not ready or it doesn't feel safe or it's not aligned. So after you kind of clear up the feelings or change the state, really check in, maybe do a little meditation and ask, is, is it in my highest good to take the step yeah. or is my intuition blocking me right now? And let it be okay if you don't take the step. Oh, Christine, I'm obsessed with your brain. <laughs> you are such, <laughs> and, and your soul and your heart, like you are just incredible. Okay. You. On that note, when you are getting yourself in a happy, 
happy state and you want to, you know, listen to some good jams, we actually have a Spotify playlist for this podcast. So So do you have a song recommendation that you want to throw on that playlist? Oh my gosh. I think it's all so personal. Um, Or something that maybe comes to you Um, let me see. I should actually look at my retreat list. I mean, some of my favorites, but my favorites are like from my childhood and I'm Perfect. like, you know, like there no. is the most broad range of <laughs> like artists and songs on this playlist. It is like from like gangster stuff to like show tunes. To, I know. Like, I, know. I, I love it. Well, I love the song higher love, which probably none of your audience knows. Is no, oh, it's already okay. on there, girl. Okay. Okay. Well, that's one of mine. That's totally I love one it. of mine. Um, I love, um, what is it that I'm going to mispronounce his name, David Guetta or David. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I love when love takes over. That's awesome. So good. That's a good, no, both of those are great jams. Okay. So where can we find you? How can we connect with you? And what are you most excited about right now that you can share with our audience? Yeah. So what I'm most excited about, and if people are really vibing on what I'm saying, um, so every year I teach my signature retreat. In San Diego, it's March 6th through 8th. It's highly experiential. This is not a sit in your chair and take notes. In fact, most of the time, we don't even have the chair set up. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, and it's, but it's also not, sometimes people hear that and they're like, oh, wait, women's retreat. Do we all get naked and do weird things? <laughs> no, no, no. You can keep your clothes on at this one. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, 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 it's a very, very safe container. And yeah. it is, I, I really guide you through how to release emotion, how to step into your power as a woman, how to connect to the divine. Because I can sit, and I'm sure your audience has so much awareness this retreat is about integration. This is about the how. This is about getting things in your cells so that you, you can actually feel different and do things a different way. Yeah. It also is a massive healing of the feminine, of any, because we all have the wounds of comparison and competition and imposture and feeling like we don't belong. And every woman leaves knowing they belong and feels so much more connected to other women. So that's um, christinehassler.com slash spring dash retreat or just email jill at christinehassler.com. Um, and then the podcast you mentioned, and yeah. I'm on Instagram. And if you want a coaching assessment from me, just go to my website and fill it out and you get a coaching assessment. Yes. And we will link all of that because you're just the content that you put out. You're so intentional about serving people in a yeah. massive way and you feel it in everything that you do. And, oh, I'm just so excited that we're connected. So me too. Any- any last thing that you want to leave the listener with, the woman who's in her 20s or 30s just wanting to take action to build a life that she like really, really loves? Yeah, I would say just be mindful of your self-talk. You know, this is something you've heard before. We've heard the inner mean girl, the inner critic. We've all heard it. Um, but again, hearing it's not enough. And, and self-love is about more than drinking your green juice and, you know, yeah. going to yoga and all those kinds of things. It really starts with how you talk to yourself. So you've got to be that best friend, that lover, that parent to yourself. And when you notice yourself taught getting nasty, you don't want to judge the inner critic. Don't criticize the inner critic because then you're just in a loop of criticism. So just notice it and just say in your mind, I forgive myself for being mean to myself. I forgive myself for judging myself. Take a breath. Just say something nice. It can be, I'm doing the best I can. You don't have to go from feeling not enough to positive affirmations that you don't believe. You can just be like, I'm doing the best I can. I have compassion for myself. Changing that self-talk that goes on up in here is, is totally a game changer for your life and your relationships. 
Oh, Christine, thank you so much for how you show up in the world and for sharing so much with us today. I really appreciate you. Thank My you. pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you love this episode, I would so appreciate it if you share with your girlfriends or better yet, post it on Instagram stories and tag me. Then I can personally say thank you for helping me get this message out there. And if you didn't vibe with it, just keep that to yourself. I'm kind of new here, still trying to figure it all out. Talk to you soon, girl.